struggle to get to its depths. Okay? John is called the eagle. You see, in fact, on the emblem I put the eagle, right? because he soars to the greatest heights. Okay, So we have our work cut out for us. I, we're going to go through June because I don't want to have to hurry. Because if we hurry the Gospel of John, it's not worth it. Okay? It won't be like we did with the Old Testament where we're flying through. We'll take our time. We're also going to get out of here at 9.15 every week. Okay, And I'm going to start as best I can at 8.15. I've already talked to Father McAfee that they're going to end their holy hours. They're supposed to end their holy hours five minutes before we're supposed to start. So, okay, there it is. I went to the highest authority. Origen, one of the great scripture scholars of the early church, says this about the Gospel of John. We dare to say that the Gospels are the flower of the scriptures, and the flower of the Gospels is that of St. John. But no one can penetrate its meaning, meaning who is not rested on Jesus' breast and taken Mary as his mother. To be like John, one needs to be able, like him, to be pointed out by Jesus as another Jesus. Remember our Lord on the cross says, Behold your son, our lady. And so, if Mary had no other children but Jesus, and Jesus says to his mother, Behold your son, and not behold another son, then it is as if he were saying, Behold Jesus, to whom you have given life. And so it is. Anyone who is identified with Christ no longer lives for himself. Christ lives in him. And given that Christ lives in him, Jesus says of him to Mary, Behold your son, Christ. If we're going to penetrate the depths of the Gospel of John, we have to do it in a way that is holy. We have to prepare ourselves for reading the text. We can't read through it fast. We have to do it in a prayerful manner. We have to become like Jesus. And only then will we begin to see what John is writing about. His entire gospel, the entire thing, is about that one idea, becoming Christ. The whole gospel, every story in the gospel, we're going to find that John simply repeats himself over and over and over again in the gospel of John. Beating us over the head with the same thing. You must be identified with Christ. And only then will you begin to see properly. And if if you're not identified with Christ, you will not be able to see, you will not be able to understand. And the Gospel of John will be just like any other book that we just read through, and that's it. John is writing for us in order to bring us into union with Christ. And so we approach the text in that way. St. Ambrose says, This beloved of the Lord who rested on his breast drank from the depths of wisdom. I am not astonished that he has explained divine mysteries better than all the others. For the the treasure of heavenly secrets hidden in Mary was ever open to him. What would John not have seen living those years with Our Lady? Okay? So he has this treasure of heavenly secrets that he wants to reveal to us in the text if we listen. Okay, I'm going to ask you a very ridiculous question. Anything's ridiculous. <laughs> Who is the author of the Gospel of John? First of all, open your Bibles to the Gospel of John. John. Open to the very beginning. Oh. 
the author. Well, isn't there some concern over that? John. Any ideas? Thank you, Edmund. John, who's John? No, it's, it's the, who's John? The son of thunder. The son of thunder, okay. One of the apostles, okay. Jesus is alleged beloved. Are we all in agreement upon that? Yes. So there's some disagreement. No. I'm very well, clear in, in the front of mind, it says there's there's a lot of concern about uh, some of the chapters, and they think that John wrote a short version. And then Yonah and community. And a lot of people added on to After it. him, right. And my concern is, though, how did they know what to write? Thank you. Right. Why could these okay. people add on to what John had already written and feel that they were adding anything? I mean, because they right. could have known. This right. is a classic example. What is that the New American Bible, right? Uh, I, I think it is. Really it's a classic example yeah, of the Bible scholars have said this. How many times have I said this to you guys? Have lost the faith. First of all, they don't believe that the people that we normally say wrote it actually wrote it. And if you go a little further, they don't believe that actually this is divinely inspired. Okay? So for us here at this level, we lay that to the side. Okay? And say, you don't, if you don't have any faith, that's your problem. We have faith. Okay? And we believe that who wrote this gospel? John the Apostle, right? How do we know that John the Apostle wrote it? Well, how would anybody else add on to it and know exactly what Christ said in some of those long discourses? I don't think your person commenting cares about that. They're not saying anything's accurate. I just read a comment the other night. Similarly, they don't, I mean, this, these aren't Jesus' words anyways. Okay, some of this is just made up by a community that was taken with the resurrection. They kind of went crazy with it and just wrote all these crazy things. Okay, so now how do we know that John, as a group here, how do we know that John wrote this text? Tradition. What's the first thing you see in the gospel there? In the beginning. Well, before that, what do you mean? The gospel according to John. Okay? Not divinely inspired. That was added later on. That's not part of your Bible. Okay? So how do we know that John wrote this? And the answer is exactly right. Tradition tells us so. St. Irenaeus. I wish I had his years down here. St. Irenaeus was very early says, and many others say the same thing, John, the disciple of the Lord, who had leaned upon his breast at the Last Supper, did himself publish a gospel during his residence in, at Ephesus in Asia. Okay, he went to Ephesus. So, the tradition is that John wrote this text. Nowhere in the gospel of John is John mentioned by name. Okay? There is a figure in the gospel of John that we're going to find and we're going to meet and he never names himself. He's always described, but he's never named. Do the other apostles... Yes, identify themselves. Yes. But John does not. Okay? And many have said it is out of humility that John leaves himself out of the story by name. He's in the story. His person's in the story. But he never mentions it by name. Yeah. Okay. So the tradition is always held that John wrote this text. Excuse me. My ne- yes, Edmund. Irenaeus was allegedly a disciple of Polycarp, and Polycarp was a disciple, disciple of John. There you go. Thank you, Simone. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so he's third generation connected with, with John. Okay, and in fact, I think the, the tradition is that, that Irenaeus actually knew John. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, yes. How much weight should we give tradition versus scripture? <laughs> I'm not getting a theology program here, but scripture and tradition, as St. Paul says, go hand in hand. We hold on to both. And in fact, if we want to get down to the nitty gritty, of course, tradition was there. The oral word was there before it was ever written down. Okay, Christ never wrote a word. He spoke it. Tradition is not a conflict with scripture. No, not at all. 
Right. Tradition, it, 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 tradition stands on its own as long as it's not in, in conflict with scripture. That's right. It never has been a problem. Yeah, St. Paul very much supports tradition. The, the difficulty we get into is human tradition okay, versus authentic tradition handed down to us in Christianity. Christ followed many of the traditions handed down to him. Okay? Enough said about that. Let's deal with the Gospel of John. Okay? My next question to you is this. Why was the Gospel of John written? There are some hints in the text. How many of you have read the Gospel of John before? The whole thing? Good. Very good. I'm going to ask you as we go through it over the next month and a half. What do we have? Half have not read it. Half have not read it. So you're okay because you're going to stay ahead by a couple of chapters reading along with us. It's very simple. 15 minutes a week, 20 minutes a week. That's all we need to cover. Okay? Why was it written? Why was it written? Turn to chapter 19. All the way towards the end of the gospel. Was the, was the Gospel of John written in Turkey? Um, yes. In Ephesus. Where is Ephesus? Turkey. 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 I don't know. I'm bad at geography. Right now it's Turkey. That's right. Yeah. But it's not. Then it was Greece, yes? No. no. It's a cold down Chapter 19, verse 35. That's pretty positive. Is that you? Go ahead and read it for us. Verse 35. And he that saw it hath given testimony, and his testimony is true. And he knoweth that he saith true, that you may also believe. So why does John write his gospel? So that Christians, so they can be Christians, so that people will believe in Christ. Okay, you see that in the text. Simply that, that we may believe. Turn to chapter 20. Chapter 20, verse 31. Nancy, you want to get it to us? But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Okay. So why is it written? So that you may believe. So that if you believe, what happens to you? You can live. You have life. You have life. Okay. We're getting somewhere. John has laid out for us the reason for writing. It's that we may believe and that through believing we may have life. How is it through belief we receive life? John's going to answer that for us. Which one okay. that section 20? What? 2031. Chapter 20, verse 31. Now you might think this is a little simplistic, but it's, it's crucial to the text. Is extremely important. So you hold on to that. That we may believe, and believing we may have life. Somehow, through belief in what John is going to present to us, we will gain life. Turn back to the beginning of John. John chapter 1. <coughs> Sheila, why don't you go ahead and read that verse 1 through 14 for us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came for testimony to bear witness to the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness to the light. The true light that enlightens every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world knew him not. He came to his own home, and his own people received him not. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, full of grace and truth. We have beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. Okay, this text is traditionally called what? Prologue. prologue. Yeah, the prologue to John. John the Baptist. It's a 
extremely important to the whole text. The Navarra commentary, which I'll quote from a couple of times tonight, says, By placing this poem as a prologue to his gospel, the apostle is giving us a key to understand the whole account which follows. In the same sort of way as the first chapters of, of the Gospels of St. Matthew and St. Luke initiate us into the contemplation of the life of Christ by telling us about the virgin birth and other episodes to do with his infancy. In structure and content, however, they are more akin to the opening chapters of the other New Testament books, and so on. The text goes on to say, just like a stone dropped in a pool produces an ever-widening ever ripples, so the ideas expressed in each stanza tend to be expanded in later verses, still developing the original theme. This kind of exposition was much favored in olden times because it makes it easier to get the meaning across, and God used it to help us go deeper into the central mysteries of the faith. What are they saying? The prologue acts as, an, as an, almost like an overture, preparing us for the gospel and giving us the themes which we are going to be seeing over and over again in the gospel. If we get the prologue stuck in our mind, we will have the whole gospel stuck in our mind. I would recommend to you that you memorize the first 14 verses of the gospel of John. Many of you may have already memorized it from the old days, the old Mass. Okay? Take the text with you to church. Pray it at the end of Mass. There's nothing wrong with that. Yes, Edmund. Why are you changing seats, Edmund? We're back there. He wants to be close to the wine. Go ahead. In the beginning, um, the course that relates to Genesis. We're going to get to that, yes. We're going to get to that. Um, correct me, the, the four-letter word bottom, which is in Genesis you know, 1, 1, 1, 21, and 1, 27. Uh -huh. uh, is there any relationship to that? Yes, we're going to get to that. You're going to get to that? Yes. Don't worry. <laughs> if we get the prologue and the themes of the prologue, don't worry, we're stuck in our brain. Just like I had to do what? In Genesis chapter 1, go through and make a list of the themes that are developed in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And they help us along the way through Scripture. Similarly in the Gospel of John, as we read the prologue, we pick up certain themes that he's going to constantly refer back to. And the person that has those at the forefront of his mind is going to be much better off. Much, it'll be much easier to interpret the text the way John wants us to. The preface acts... Similarly, when we, we talked about, uh, we are a series in the Mass, we talked about Ratzinger's uh, understanding of the exitus and reditus. Okay? The coming forth from heaven. And we have the prologue. Okay? Talking about Christ's descent into the world. The prologue comes to its culmination with the incarnation. And the rest of the gospel continues this theme, seeing the incarnate word walking among us. Okay? We're going to have the gospel. Okay? And the gospel culminates in the ascent. So you have the descent and the ascent. And Christ will continually talk about his ascent to the Father. He will constantly refer to his descent from the Father, where he came from and where he's going to return to. The prologue gives us, in some sense, the first half of that, and in many ways it gives us the whole picture. St. Ambrose, I've read you this quote before regarding Genesis. Is why do you suppose that any of the details were set down without good reason? Of course not. If no leaf can fall from a tree without cause, and not a single sparrow fall to the ground without the Heavenly Father's knowledge, am I to think that a superfluous word could fall from the lips of the Holy Evangelist, especially in recording the sacred history of the Word? I think not. All his words, if only they have a diligent reader, one who knows how to suck honey out of the rock and oil out of the hardest stone, contain supernal mysteries and are full of heavenly sweetness. Every word is important and regarding the prologue even more important 
that every word is placed there, and like that stone dropped in a pool, will ripple out into an ever-widening picture until we reach the culmination of the gospel. So I would recommend to you, as your homework, to go home, read through the prologue, and make a list for yourself of all the themes mentioned there. What are some of the themes in the prologue? Give me some ideas. The beginning. Okay, in the beginning. What else? Light. Life. What else? Testimony. Testimony. Life. Life. What else? Things being made. Creation. Good. Witness. Witness. A testimony, yeah. The world. The world. Darkness. Rejection. Rejection. Good. Did we spill water back there? Is that what happened? We spilled water? It's okay though, right? Yeah, it's not like poured over. Okay. Good. All of these themes. Write those themes down. Get those themes in your mind. Memorize the text. It's actually very easy to memorize. You can do it one verse at a time. You'll get the hang of it. Okay? Oftentimes, in the scriptures, when there's an important text, when there's an extremely important text that the author wants us to know very well, what's hidden behind in the background of the text oftentimes? We talked about it in Genesis chapter 3, about the curses. There's usually a structure. We talked about it at the flood also. There's a structure to the text. Okay, hidden behind these words is a structure which the author has given us to help us memorize the text. Okay? And also to help us, once we see the structure, to point out what his entire point is of writing. What do you think the most important verse is in the, in the prologue, verses 1 through 14? I asked you this not three weeks ago. And the, word and the word was made flesh. Wrong. <laughs> That's what most of the time we focus on. In the beginning, also very important. But that's not the most important verse for John. The most important phrase for John. The word was sent from God. What's that? That he was sent from God. He was sent from God. Not at all. The light shines in the dark. He was the word. Not at all. This man, we're going to get there. So I'm going to stop you there. <laughs> all right. We're going to have a little fun here. The text is written in what's called a chiastic structure. It's a chiasm. What's a chiasm? <laughs> What's a chiasm? A chiasm is used for the Greek letter chi, which we call X. Okay? And a chiasm in the scriptures, it happens all the time in the Old Testament, not as often in the New Testament, but it's here in the prologue. The author writes in what we might call the form of an X. The first phrase he uses is mirrored or is repeated in a similar manner in the last phrase he uses. And so in the second, with the second to last, like this, all the way down, and so on, till we get to the very middle of his text. And the very middle of his text is what he wants us to focus on. Similarly with the flood, the entire flood, like three chapters, is a massive chiasm that is the same thing all the way down to the very middle and the very middle most central phrase in the flood is and God remembered Noah okay so here is verse 7 what's that? so here is verse 7 is that uh, verse 7? No. Okay. Another thing we need to learn is that the verses oftentimes are not, uh, well, not oftentimes, they're not part of the original text. Okay. And so the phrases are not according necessarily to your verses. Okay. Now, the entire prologue is actually through verse 18. That's his entire introduction. Okay, so what we're going to do is have a little bit of fun and discover something that John placed in the text for us 2,000 years ago. And find it. Okay? Again, we're all, we always want nice, clean, exact things. John's chiasm is written not in the exact words repeated, but in the ideas are repeated. 
Okay? And again, they don't go verse for verse. One is two verses because the verses are placed in there later. Does that make sense? Okay. So do you divide by ideas then? And not? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to have a little fun and do this. Okay, and we're going to look at verse at the end and at the beginning, and then we go back and forth. Now, this can get a little confusing. Stick with it. We're going to be okay. We're not going to go too fast. Okay? You want to read for us part of it? Okay, you're going to read the, hold on, you're going to read the first, like, verse 1, and Anson's going to read verse 18. We're going to work our way in, back and forth. I'm going to name the verse, and you're going to read it like that, back and forth. Okay? If you get lost, don't worry about it. I can talk to you about it later. Okay, so verses one and two. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Okay, what's the what's the idea or the theme? He was with God. Verse eighteen, Anson. No one has ever seen God, the only Son who is in the bosom of the Father. He has made He has made Him known. Okay, He was in the bosom of the Father. In other words. He was with God. Why is there so much difference in uh, what... In the translations? Translations. Because you're not reading the original text. And if you're all reading, you're going to be reading this text in uh, Greek. I don't know, Greek. Do the best we can. Okay? But you get the idea. He was with God. Alright? Verse 3. All things were made by him, and without him was made nothing that was made. Okay, well, my translation is all things were made through him. Whatever, made through him, made by him. Okay? Anson, go ahead and give us verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Okay, so all things came to be through him or by him. And the law and grace came through him. You see that? Okay. You guys with me? Yeah. All right. Verse 4 and 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Okay. His life is the light of men. Anson, verse 16. And from his fullness uh, have we all received grace upon grace. Okay. Grace comes into man, we receive it, and what happens to us? Again, our wording is difficult. What happens to us? In the wording of verse, uh, verse 4 and 5, it enlightens man. It brings him to life. Okay, and in fact, his life is the Holy Spirit, which is grace coming into us. Okay. Verse 6 through 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to give testimony of the light that all men might believe through him. He was not the light, but was to give testimony of the light. Verse 15. John bore witness to him and cried, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me writes before me, for he was before me. Okay? Witness and witness, both referring to John. Okay. Verse 9 through 10. <clears throat> that was the true light which enlightens every man that comes into this world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Okay. He came into the world. Anson. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. We have beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. Okay, so he came into the world, and he was made flesh. Verse 11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Okay, this one is a little bit tricky because he comes to his own, okay? And when he comes to his own, he comes, verse 13, Anson, uh, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Okay, they come from God. Those that were born come from God. So Jesus comes to man from the Father. Okay, and we're going to see why John does this. And man come, is born then from God. 
Okay? Similarly, Jesus comes from the Father. Man is born from the Father of God. Okay? We come to the central phrase of, this, of the prologue. Actually, no, it's a little something else. In the Greek, read us our next verse, Anson. It's in verse 12, right? Yes. Read us verse 12. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, gave power to become children of God. Okay. In the Greek, it's actually those who receive him, he, become, he gives power to become children of God, those who believe in him. Okay? And the very central point is sons of God or children of God. Those who believe in him, those who receive him, receive life. Those who believe in him, those who receive him, become children of God. They become sons of God. Okay? Yes, answer. Um, question, since you put the word chiasm how is one supposed to identify and, and utilize chiasms? Because you've got these artificial chapters and it's right. all over the place. How do you, how do you For that? us today, they're not quite as helpful as if we were reading the original text and we had that mindset. Okay? Just turn it off. I'm sorry. Just open it. Close it. Yeah, sorry. Um... It's not as easy for us today, but what is nice is once we discover it, then we have the key to the text, and we can look into the text and see, and, and it, not only does it help us memorize the text, but it points out for us the most important part of the text, okay? Similarly with other structures in the scriptures, okay, as I've said to you before, the serpent tempts Eve, Eve tempts Adam, Adam, uh, uh, what? God comes into the garden, he talks to Adam, Adam blames Eve, Eve blames the serpent, the serpent gets condemned, Eve gets condemned, and Adam gets condemned. I just memorized the entire chapter of the Bible. Okay? Is 12 the end? Yes, 12 verse 12. And in fact, it's not only verse 12, it's the very center of verse 12. Okay, in the original Greek. Okay? It's not, John wasn't enough to just say, well, this whole long phrase is my central point. He even worked it where he put receive and believe, and then right in the middle, he put sons of God or children of God. Okay? In other words, he's screaming out at us his entire intent of the prologue, and therefore his entire intent of the gospel is that we become children of God. And how do we become children of God? By believing in him, by receiving him. We become sons of the Father. We are likened to Him. We are likened to Jesus. Okay? There is one Son of God. There is one child, if you will, of the Father. And it is Jesus Christ. John wants all of us to be so united to Christ that we become Christ's. We become Christ. We become Jesus. Okay? And that's the entire point of his gospel. That's what he wants for all of us. That's what he wants for everybody who's ever read his gospel. That through reading it, we will believe. And through believing, we will become children of God. That's kind of heavy-duty stuff. Turn to 2 Peter. 2 Peter is almost at the end of your Bible. If you scan back from the book of Revelation... Ask the epistles of John where? to Peter. Peter. Go to the book of Revelation, go backwards. Peter. Peter. Second Peter. It's very small. A lot of people don't know we have it. That's okay. Second Peter, are we all there? That's, that's why we're here. We're having a Bible study because we didn't know. Alright, if you're not there, you can listen. Chapter 1, verse 
3. Annie, you want to read that first? Verse 3 and 4. His divine power has bestowed on us everything that makes for life and devotion through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and power. Through these, he has bestowed on us the precious and great promises, so that through them you may come to share in the divine nature after escaping from corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. So why did he come? Why did he do what he was going to do? What does Peter say? So that what? We can share in the divine nature. So that we can share in the divine nature. Don't read that text like, you know, it's just Bible talk. That we can share in the divine nature. What does that mean? That we can share in the divine nature. That we become divinized. That we become likened to God. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. Second Peter, yeah. That we become partakers of the nature of God. No longer just humans, but partakers in the divine nature. St. Athanasius, you want to know how serious the early church took this? Listen to what he says in this very simple sentence. He, Jesus, indeed assumed humanity so that, whenever you get a so that in your reading, stop. He assumed humanity so that, one reason, listen to this, so that we might become God. That we might become God. That God loved us so much that he wants to share himself with us. Not in some kind of distant manner. He wants to divinize us. To make us his children like Jesus is. And that's what John's writing about. That's his goal. That through believing, we will become like God. Okay, you guys might be thinking, okay, you got a... What... Messiah complex or something like that. I don't have a Messiah complex, but you know what? We're called Christians. That means we've been anointed and identified with Jesus, the Christian, the Christ. We are Christ's. I don't have a Messiah complex. I am a Messiah because I have been united to Jesus Christ, the King. That's what our confirmation is all about. Our Lord says you can move mountains. The apostles healed people. Because they believed enough in Jesus Christ that they were so united to Him that suddenly they started doing things that only God can do. And that's what the gift we've been given. The foxhole Christians, we don't even need to be foxhole Christians. We just need to believe in God. And suddenly the world will be converted at our fingertips as it was at the fingertips of the apostles. That's why saints... There's miracles associated with saints. They start doing things that only God can do because they're so holy, they're so united to God that they become partakers in the divine nature. And that's what John wants for us. His entire gospel is about that fact. His prologue is about that fact. Okay? The center of his prologue is not that Jesus became man because if Jesus just became man, if God just became man, and that was it, and left us out of the picture then where's the good news? The good news is that he became man. He took upon our human nature and asked us to share in what he is. That's the good news. That he gave us his own divine life, eternal life. That death could no longer have dominion over man. All right, turn back to John. Yes, Anson. Um, about Jesus being the Son of God and wanting to make us children of God, in St. Luke's Gospel, it records the genealogy of Jesus and uh, genealogy of Jesus to Adam, it says Adam is the Son of God. Mm-hmm. Well, what happened? Adam was made what? He was made in the image and likeness of God. He was made as a son of God, a partaker in the divine nature. Jesus Christ came to give us back what Adam lost in the fall, and therefore he came to remake us in the image and likeness of God, to recreate us like him. That's why he came. All of salvation history is about that. It is about putting away what Adam did and being restored to what Adam lost. 
that sinful people died in the flood and the people of God were restored to their communion with, Je- with, with the Creator, with Jesus. Pharaoh and the Egyptians died in the flood, being the sinful man, and the people of God were restored on Mount Sinai in the presence of God, and Moses looked upon God and he was transfigured. All of salvation history is about that, and Jesus Christ came finally to do it once for all. Man struggled through the Old Testament, and he never could quite get there, because nobody can partake in the divine nature by his own will. It is a gift of God, and that alone. And so Jesus Christ came to give us that gift. So in other words, the image and likeness, meaning the divine nature. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes, yeah, exactly. A share in his own life. All right. Verse 1. Yeah, John, Gospel of John, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Keep reading. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was made nothing that was made. In Him was life, and the light was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. What does this remind us of? Genesis. Genesis. Why? What reminds you of Genesis? Yeah, you guys are all saying something different because there's all sorts of words in there that you're going, whoa! There's a reason why we did Genesis chapters 1, 2, 3, all of salvation history, uh, Eden to Eden. The reason is in order to read this text. Okay? Because six months ago, I think, I would bet that if we had read that text, light and darkness, what, made, you know, creation, I don't, you wouldn't have picked it up, but now you can pick it up. Okay? We're going to watch through the Gospel of John as he constantly uses creation imagery. The prologue is very reminiscent of the first chapter of Genesis on a number of scores. The opening words are the same in the beginning. In the Gospel, they refer, refer to the absolute beginning, that is eternity, whereas Genesis... They mean the beginning of creation and time. There's a parallelism in the role of the word. In Genesis, God creates things by his word. And God said, in the gospel, we are told that that they were made through the word of God. In Genesis, God's work of creation reaches its peak when he creates man in his own image and likeness. In the gospel, the work of the incarnate word culminates when man is raised by a new creation, as it were, the dignity of being sons of God. John uses this creation imagery, as I said, throughout his text. Okay, what's, what's another example? We looked at it at our last class before Easter. What was it? You remember. We talked about the wedding at Cana. And what leads up to the wedding at Cana? We'll talk about this again, but... The seven days. Yeah, the seven days. Okay? John puts his story in a seven-day pattern. We're going to look at that a little clearer. So what's the best thing to do at this point? What's the best thing to do? If we know John is using creation imagery, what should we do? Yeah, go back to Genesis. Luckily, we've already done that, and we don't have to do it. Okay? But I would recommend you go back and read Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 again. I, I always think of the, the words in the beginning as John's stop sign. Saying, stop right here. If you're not familiar with Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, further, if you're not familiar with the whole of the Old Testament, but primarily that text, then don't keep reading, because you're not going to understand what I'm talking about. Okay? John's gospel is written on an epic level. Most people don't read it on that level. John's writing about the recreation of creation. The restoration of the world. And we can either read it on a simply historical level, or we can read it on the divine level. The two of you guys, your question. Go ahead. I was always taught that John basically, in your last comment, that this basically is a presentation of Jesus, the divinity of Jesus, for the most part. In the prologue or in the whole gospel? Well, in the whole gospel. Maybe I'm jumping ahead. 
Yes and no. I, I, I don't well, like that. Let me be very clear. Not exclusively, but primarily. You know, there are many themes to the Gospel of John, but primarily the divinity of Christ. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's no question that John's trying to get across the fact that Jesus is God. That's true. Okay? But he's also very concerned that we understand that he became man. Because who is it, help me, who says what he did not assume, he did not restore, did not redeem? Church Father. Anyways. I don't know. Uh, so it is important that the word comes because, but as, as essential. Yeah. It's essential because we participate in his own flesh in the Gospel of John, as we're going to find out. All right. Verse 1 through 5. Or right, Anson, go ahead and give that to us. Verse 1 through 5. Oh. John. Oh. <laughs> in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Okay. The darkness has not overcome it. What is this darkness that John's talking about? Okay. You remember in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the light, and there was darkness upon the face of the and so on, and the light shined into the darkness. John goes ahead and interprets some of that for us, or gives it at least a fuller meaning. Okay? In the gospel, darkness is going to be extremely important. It's a theme that's going to reoccur over and over and over again. And for John, the darkness cannot comprehend... Is that how you spell comprehend? I don't know. I'm dyslexic. <laughs> comprehend the light. What does it mean to comprehend the light? To know it. To know it. To take it in. And to understand it. Well, you just gave my answer. What does it mean to know something? Understand. To understand it, yeah. What does that mean? With it. To, 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 to Thank you. <laughs> All right. Knowledge, especially in the Semitic sense, we've talked about this before. Knowledge is a union of the knower and the known. Knowledge is the union of the knower and the known. When I come to know something, I become one with it. That's why I can close my eyes right now. I know my house, and I can see my house within me. In some way, God has given me, all of us, that great gift to be able to come to know something. And when we come to know something, we are united with it. It comes, becomes part of us, never to leave. It helps to form who we are. Okay? It's even truer when we talk about knowing another human being. Okay, they begin to form us. They begin to form our way of speech. They begin to form our way, our outlook. That's why it's important that our friends are good friends. They will determine who we become. Okay? That's why it's important that we be careful what we take in. Right? We're constantly taking in all of these things and we never think about it. These things are making me who I am. For John, the darkness could not take in the light. It could not know it. It could not have it as its own. There's a fundamental division between the light and the darkness. St. Augustine says, But it may be that the dull hearts of some cannot yet receive this light. Their sins weigh them down, and they cannot discern it. Let them not think, however... That because they cannot discern it, therefore it is not present with them. For they themselves, because of their sins, are darkness. Just as if you place a blind person in the sunshine, also, or although the sun is present to him, yet he is absent from the sun. In the same way, every foolish man, every unrighteous man, every ungodly man is blind in heart. What of course and ought such a one to take? To, what course what should one take? Let him cleanse the eyes of his heart that he may be able to see God. He will see wisdom, for God is wisdom itself. As it, and it is written, Blessed are the clean of heart, for they shall see God. 
There is no doubt that sin obscures man's spiritual vision, rendering him unable to see and enjoy the things of God. Through the gospel, we are going to meet certain figures. Nicodemus, the Samaritan woman, the adulterous woman. All of these figures in the gospel of John over and over again, and the same story reoccurs. There is darkness and there is light. Jesus Christ is the light. And either they're going to stay in darkness and they're not going to be able to know the light. They're not going to be able to understand the light. They're not going to be able to comprehend the light. They will not be able to take it in. Unless they come to him and they stay present to him. And suddenly they begin to understand. They begin to take him in. And they're through that knowledge of him made one with the thing or the person they know. They're made one with Christ. That's the fundamental story of every story in the Gospel of John. Either the person standing in front of them in each story stays long enough to be changed into what the person is coming to know, or he flees from the light and he stays in darkness. And when he stays in darkness, he stays in stupidity. I say stupidity because the gospel, the further we go, the more ridiculous the characters get. The more stupid the men that reject Christ get. And it becomes more and more obvious of the problem. Okay? We're done. I told you I had two minutes. Look at that. No, it's not bad. It's not bad. Two minutes. All right? Here's what I ask you to do. Read chapter one. Okay? Especially the prologue. But read the chapter one. We'll definitely get through the baptism next week. We probably will not get up to the calling of the, of the apostles. The baptism of Christ is going to take us a little while. The first few chapters are going to take us longer. Once we have our tools, the gospel is going to be able to go very quick for us. And you guys are going to be able to interpret the text because you have the tools to do it. I'm just going to stand here and add church fathers to you. Okay? All right. Please make sure you guys eat some of that cheese and stuff and drink the wine before you do. Let's conclude in prayer. If anyone wants to stay 30 seconds, I'll do a five minute question. Okay? In Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. St. John the Evangelist. Christ is risen. And on the Father, Jesus, Ophelia, Spirit of Santi, Amen.